to you guys. There's like no corralling you again. Like cats. Come on in and take your seat. Anything else I can do to make you guys comfortable? (laughs) Well, good morning to you all. Uh, Sorry I was not able to be with you last week. We were actually installing a new pastor in another church. But uh, your service was amazing here. and So grateful for the presence of the Lord and Him coming and visiting us. So grateful. As we begin this morning, I want you to imagine this scene with me, if you would. Uh, Two people are in a car out for a drive on a beautiful, sunny Sunday afternoon. All seems well with the world, except somehow the passenger has discovered that there's a bomb in the trunk of the car getting ready to explode. The driver doesn't believe it and thinks the passenger is nuts, but the passenger called the police and let the state police know that there was a bomb in their trunk, so they're in pursuit. Some time goes by, and finally, the passenger sees out of the rear window the state police with their lights flashing and their sirens coming, charging up on them. Now, for the passenger, the sign of those flashing lights and the siren in the distance brought him a sense of relief, a sense of hope that maybe they would make it. But for the driver, who doesn't believe there's any problem, those lights evoke a a different emotion altogether. Well, this morning, what I want you to do is I read the text specifically. I want you to think in your mind that these verses are like a flashing red light for you. Okay, have you got that in your minds? So I want you to listen to the scripture as Paul gives it in Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1, and it'll be up on the screen for you. Ephesians 2.1 says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember, that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers 
from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now these verses probably uh, are some of the most well-known verses describing your salvation. That every single one of you who calls yourself a Christian, a believer, every one of you were saved in exactly the same way. Now maybe your experience was different, but everybody is saved in the same exact way. You are saved by grace through the vehicle of your faith that you believe in that grace that God has made available to you. And so Paul tells us, with all of that in mind, about where you were and who you were and what you were and where you are today, Paul tells us, therefore, remember. He wants you to remember what life would have been like for you had you not come to know this grace of God. He wants you to remember what your life would have been had you not. You should remember what you were and where you would have ended without a Savior. And this is my main point today, and I've asked them to put it up on the screen. And it's basically this. Unless we feel that ours was a great need, we won't ever feel like He's a great Savior. Let me say it again. And I want you to think about your own life. Unless we feel that ours was a great need, we will never realize that He's a great Savior. Because the truth is, my need was so great, I needed a great Savior. Do you get it? Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's what Paul is trying to convey to us here today. You know, I know that for some of you, you think, yeah, duh, Pastor Chris, you haven't been preaching a long time, so you don't know that we already know all this. But the truth is, some people think that, well, here's kind of how I look at it. They think, my, my job is going great. My marriage is wonderful. My kids are actually obedient. Everything was going great for me. And then one day I realized I was lacking one thing. I was lacking God. So I added God to my life, and now my life is just perfect. And they treat salvation, they treat God like He's an accessory to their perfect outfit. Just this little bit that I needed. But the truth is, for none of you sitting in this room, is that true? The truth is, unless we feel that ours was a great need, you needed a great Savior. Paul gives us three reasons why we needed a great Savior. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to go through them. One, two, three. I think this is like, this is like salvation 101. If, if you don't get this, it's hard to say that you're even a Christian, that you're even a believer or you've bought into a modern mindset that Jesus is just a wonderful addition to kind of make you happy, when that's not what this is about at all. So, Paul gives us three reasons for why you needed a great Savior. Number one, we need a great Savior because without a great Savior, every one of us is dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul says this in verse 1 and in verse 5. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. If I ask most people, even some of you here today, why did you need a Savior? Why did you need to get saved? I can guarantee you, many of you would say, well, because of my sin. 
I was guilty before God. God was peeved at me, and I needed somebody who could come and help me and forgive me, and I, I, I didn't want to go to hell. And that's certainly why I got saved. I heard hell preached every single Sunday, and I didn't want to go to hell. So for me, salvation was a get-out-of-hell-free card. Maybe even make it to heaven. Not sure I wanted the rest of it. Not sure I even liked God. But I knew I didn't want to go to hell. But that's not what Paul's talking about here in verses 1 and 5. The reason we need a Savior is not just because we're in God's doghouse. We need a Savior because we're all in the morgue. You see, if you were in the doghouse, you might be able to whimper. You might be able to call out and get his attention. You might be able to logically explain why you're really a good person after all. You do nice things for people. And really, God, I just need a little bit of help. But you're not in God's doghouse. You're in the morgue on a slab. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. We need a great Savior. I want you to get this because this is not a popular idea. I believe it's biblical. I believe it is right. I believe the Scripture is replete with this, but many people don't believe it. And that is simply this. A sinner is a sinner because you're born a sinner. The fact that you sin doesn't make you a sinner. It only proves the fact that you're a sinner. You're a sinner because you were born in sin, because you were born of your Father. You might not like that principle, but the truth is, every single one of us is born of our Father. And His name was Adam. And His DNA was passed on to us. Every one of us, born a sinner. I had someone say to me not too long ago about someone who had passed away. And they said something like this. I'm sure the wording is not perfect, but it was pretty close to this. Because remember, taking note of it says, well, if she didn't go up, there's no hope that anyone will go up. What do you think they meant? They meant she was a good person. She was kind to people. She helped people. And if she didn't go up, no one's going up. But according to the Word of God, we're all in need of a great Savior because we're all dead. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sins. So the first p reason Paul gives us is that we were, and this is my point, I, I've made them just because of who I am, I have to have them all kind of line up. I put, number one is you're sick to death. You're sick to death. Number two, the reason why we needed a great Savior is that our lives were sabotaged by an enemy force. Our lives were sabotaged by an enemy. He says in verse 2, you being dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to this world system, according to the ruler of the authority of the air. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Three things I want you to catch out of that verse real quick. I know this is point number two, and then there's point ABC for those of you that are logical in your note-taking, okay? The first thing is there is a real being who rules in the air. There's a real being who rules. It's interesting to me that 70-some percent, I'll call it 78%, of people in the United States call themselves Christians and believe in God. Isn't that wonderful? 
Don't you wish everybody actually lived like it? Our world would be a different place. The irony is, though 78% believe in God and 60-some percent believe in angels, only 30% believe in demons. There's a, there's a disconnect there somewhere. You, if you believe in God, you have to believe in His Word. And His Word says, there's a ruler of the authority of the air. The second point, point B. This being is a spirit who works his evil into the hearts and minds of people who have no Savior. It says, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And then, letter C. The result is that people without a Savior unconsciously, naturally live in tune with the enemy in his ways. It says, you once walked according to the course of this world. So Paul talks about the prince of the power of the air, the authority of the air. Very simply, air is where we all live. It's similar to the phrase that Paul uses in verse 6 when he talks about seated in heavenly places. In other words, between the heavens above and the ground beneath, there is the air. It's where mankind lives and where the war really happens. The war that we sang about this morning, this is how I fight my battles. You see, we all think that the war is up in the heavens between God and the angels and the demons. It's not. It happens right here around you all day. The air is where we all live. It's kind of like, it wouldn't be uncommon for us to say something like, there's just such a sense of excitement in the air. And what we mean is, excitement is pervading everything. Well, in that same way, Paul is telling us, around in this air, there's a battle going on, and there are real beings involved that you can't see, but can impact your life. They're not far away. They're as close as the air. There there is a prince or a ruler over all of these demonic spirits. And again, his name is very simply Lucifer or Satan, or we might call him the devil. He is a real being. As real as God is, he is real. Created by God, but real. In Matthew 12.24, he's called the prince of demons. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's called the God of this age. And three times in John's Gospel, he's called the ruler of this world. Satan himself took Jesus once up to a high mountain, and it said he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All of them. And he said, all of this I'll give to you. Because it's mine to give to whomever I want, if you will just bow down and worship me. How could he offer Jesus something that he could not legitimately offer? Jesus would have said, wait a minute, foul, can't do it. But Jesus didn't. Why? Because all of the kingdoms of this world, which belonged to man from the beginning, was handed back over to the enemy when Adam, our forefather, submitted to the enemy. Everything that was Adam's then became the enemy's. The ruler of this world. The God of this age. There's a realm called the air, and it has a ruler, Satan himself. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we're of God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So in our text, Paul tells us Satan not only owned you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he actually controlled and manipulated you, even when you weren't aware of it. In fact, do you remember there's a scripture in Acts where... um, 
people who had gotten saved were so moved by God, they began to bring money and even some lands and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Remember that? It's in Acts chapter 4 and 5, somewhere in there. But there was one couple. Their name was Ananias and Sapphira. They took their land and they sold it and they brought the money to the apostles, but they kept back some from themselves, which was fine. It was theirs to do with as they wanted. But they went one step farther. They lied and told the apostles, this is everything. And listen to what Peter said. Peter says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Because the enemy's device is to impact us, to control us, to manipulate us. Satan works in the hearts of the unsaved, not only by blinding them to their need of the gospel, but also filling their hearts with evil thoughts and intents that they're not even aware of where it comes from. But this is why I'm even talking about this to you today. Because that same enemy, even though he is vanquished by our captain, Jesus himself, he has one weapon left for you. And that weapon is his lies. He can whisper his lies into your hearts and cause you to believe, even impact how you live. Haven't you noticed that there are times in your life where uh, in the midst of all that you're doing, uh, whether it be in your workplace or in your marriage or different times like that, that there are thoughts that come into your mind and you think, where in the world did I wasn't even thinking this way moments ago. And all of a sudden, this stupid thought comes blazing in. Where do you think it came from? It's not born in your heart because your heart is born towards God. You're born again by the Spirit. It's because there's still a whisperer who lies to you. Uh, there are many times over these years, and I know it will be hard for you to believe uh, because you know me so well as being the, the, the uh, perfect man of God that I am. Um, there are times when my wife and I don't get along perfectly. Uh, I know it's shocking. It's all her fault. Just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Sure. Uh, that's right, she's not here. That's why I can say it, David. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> Um, but there are times when we would get into a disagreement over something, and again, we don't yell and scream, but what we do is, uh, this is the Lanaville way, we just become quiet. We just stop, stop talking. I'll talk to you again when you behave yourself, and when you come around to my way of thinking. And even though we're quiet, the air is filled. You, know, you understand what I mean? The air is filled with not good things. You know, you know when you're mad, have, have you noticed this? When you're mad, your thoughts don't do really well. When you're upset, you think stupid thoughts. Thoughts of anger and of vengeance. I'll show her. Or even thoughts of quitting. It's just not worth it. Forget it. I'll find somebody who actually likes me and understands me. And invariably, into those situations, I will hear the voice of my wife. And she'll say, maybe we should pray. And i got to tell you, in those moments, in my heart and mind, I'm thinking, no, I don't want to pray. Because I know what will happen if I pray. God will come, because you can't really pray. You know you can't pray if you're not serious about it. You pray, and God shows up, and all of a sudden you realize, what a, come on, Chris, get a grip. 
But my point is this. All of this is being whispered to by an enemy. Those lies in your mind that it's not worth it is a lie from the enemy. He can't control your life anymore, but he can try to continue to lie to you. He is the father of lies, and there is no truth in him, according to Jesus. Before Christ, as far as we were concerned, all was well. But the truth is, we were sick unto death, and we were sabotaged by an enemy. And number three, our condition without a Savior, we were all sentenced to hell. Every one of us. These are why we need a great Savior. Because our need was so great. In verse 3, Paul says that we were by nature, our DNA, our genes, we are by nature children of wrath, all sentenced to wrath. But whose wrath? And I have friends who regularly write in, in Facebook. They'll say things like, where do you ever get that God is an angry God? He's not an angry God. He's a loving God. He is a loving God. But the Scripture also has many Scriptures to talk about how God feels about sin. That is an affront to His glory. Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's God's wrath that was our just sentence. We deserved it. Because even though we might not have even realized it, we were by nature sons and daughters of disobedience. Enemies of God and of the cross of Christ. Ephesians 2.3 says, we were by nature children of wrath, just as all the others. But when he says just as all the others, he's talking about all the people who are still out there, still children of wrath. He says, we were just like that. Every one of us. Listen to these scriptures. These are scriptures. Some of them, you know them well. But listen to them. First one. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here's Tessa repeating it for me out loud right here. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But get this. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And then John tells us in Revelation 20.15, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All of these verses reflect the true nature, the state of mankind without a great Savior. And honestly, just even reading those verses, doesn't it almost feel like the air is sucked out of the room? Like, 
Ooh, I don't even like to have to think about that. But let me read one more verse that is actually God's heart towards this judgment that is a just judgment. Let me read it. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's heart for you. That you wouldn't be subject to wrath, but to His great salvation. So, our condition without a great Savior was we were all sick unto death with sin. We were sabotaged by an enemy, by Satan himself and his minions, and we were sentenced to hell. And then Paul tells us, remember. Remember what you were. Remember what you would have been, what you would have become. I look at different members uh, of my extended family far and wide and how they have lived, and I say, that could be me outside of the grace of God that was revealed to me. He says, remember. And this is kind of how I worded it. I'm sure you guys could word it better, but this is how I put it. We will never really appreciate our position in Christ now until we remember where we were. For you, he will always be a wonderful addition to your life unless you realize who you once were. Let me read the verses again. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you formerly walked. Among them, we too all formerly lived. Those two words, were and formerly, say a volume about what a Christian is. A Christian is by definition a person who has changed and is changing. Our condition, our position has changed forever. We are no longer dead in our sins. We're no longer sentenced as children of wrath. Our status has changed, yes. But so has our mind and our hearts have changed. We no longer think the way we used to think. We no longer comport ourselves the way we used to. Why? Because God has come and taken residence inside of our hearts and lives. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Right now, in the midst of what Paul in Galatians 4.1 calls this present evil age, right now in the midst of this age, Jesus Christ is the only one who can still save. It is right and proper, I was talking with someone this week, it is right and proper for us to say, I have been saved. It was an event that occurred some years ago. For me, it was back in December of 1975. That's when I got saved. I got saved. But the truth is, I am being saved every day. Every day as I cry out to God, I feel the grace of His salvation at work in my life. And one day I will be saved. The day He returns for His church and I will be saved forever in His presence. So I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. That's all the work of Christ in our lives towards salvation. But keep in mind, He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by Him. Keep in mind that 
There is no other name given among men whereby man might be saved. There is no other way but Jesus. He is not just an, He's not willing to just be an accessory to your perfect life. He is either your life or He is nothing to you. He comes then as a judge instead of as the bridegroom. So what is our state of being today? Once we were dead in sin, but God has made us alive. Aren't you grateful? God has made you alive. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? Even just saying the name Jesus, it changes something inside of you. Because he's everything to you now. He's not just, well, you know, I'm hoping that when I die because I said the sinner's prayer. No! If that's all it is, it means nothing. There's got to be a life that's impacted by his presence. We once were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now he has made us alive in Christ. We once were captive to Satan, but God, even as we sang today, God has set us free. You're free. You're no longer under the tyranny of the enemy. You're under the good graces of your God and Savior. Once we were destined for eternal judgment, but God has promised to spend eternity unwrapping the riches of His grace and kindness toward us. You know, we wonder what we're going to do for all of eternity. You're like, I've got in another, what is this? What month is this? September, October, November. I've got four months and I'm done as a pastor. Here. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do in retirement? What do you do? Tom, what do you do in retirement? I don't know. Never been there before. But I do know what we'll do in eternity. We will behold Him. And everything will be different. I want to finish with a short story that I think kind of captures uh, what I'm talking about. The Salvation Army uh, officer told the story of an illiterate man who was saved through the work of the Salvation Army on one of their street meetings. And from that point on, he began to attend Salvation Army services regularly. One day he came home from the service and he was dejected. He was sad. And his wife said, well, what's the problem? And he said, well, I've noticed that all of the Salvation Army people wear a red sweater and I don't have one. And his wife said, well, that's not a problem. I'll go ahead and knit you a sweater. So she knit him a sweater and he wore the sweater and he went off to service all pleased as peaches because he could now look like them. But when he came home that day, he was sad again. And she said, well, what's wrong now? He said, well, when I got there, I realized that all of the Salvation Army people had writing on their sweater. Now, you've got to remember, these were two illiterate people. They didn't know how to read or write. But she could copy. She says, well, it's not a problem. I will go ahead and I will put some lettering on your shirt, on your sweater. But again, she didn't know that for the Salvation Army, they had a circle, and inside of the circle, it, it said blood and fire. She didn't know that's what the yellow print was. So what she did is she looked across the road at a store that had writing on the window and she copied it letter by letter and she put it on his sweater. And he went to service that day and when he came home, he was just smiling from ear to ear. And she goes, so are you happy with the sweater? He goes, yeah. And the other people said they want a sweater just like it. See, what he didn't realize is that his wife had looked across the road and on the window of that store it said, under new management. 
And that's really the definition of a Christian. You're all under new management. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that good news for you today? Because if it's not, it's because you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, your life changes forever. I went my own way. I ran after the things of this world. I wanted money. I wanted to prove myself. But none of it could hold a candle to the person of Jesus Christ. He is our all in all. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in the name of Christ, I thank You first of all for Your Word. God, I love Your Word. Thank You so much that You so loved us that You didn't leave us hanging. You gave us Your very heart through Your Word. And Your Word tells us that You have not destined us for wrath, but for glory. Glory. There's glory in every single believer here. If we could only see one another as You see us. That in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fray all around us, in the air, You say we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So Father, help us as a people to realize what we were but what we are no longer. Because now, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Saved by grace through faith. No longer under the thumb of the enemy. Yes, He can still whisper in our ears and in our minds, and He can make it sound like our voice and our thoughts, but the truth is we're Yours, God. And when we hear that whisper, we say, Shut your mouth, enemy. I am no longer yours. I am his. Let us ever rejoice in the wonder of our salvation. Again, with the awareness of the scripture that we have read today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or you might even be a good person, but there are good sinners and there are moral sinners and there's bad sinners and there's mean sinners. But the truth is you're all dead in your trespasses and sins outside of Jesus. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough to even say the sinner's prayer once, but continue to live for yourself. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I encourage you right now, Invite Him into your heart as He invites you into His heart. Take a moment. This is life and death. The lights are flashing. The bomb is ticking. This is real. This is the most real and important thing you will ever deal with in your entire life. You can't say you're a Christian and yet continue to just live for yourself. 
You've given your life over to another. Back to the one who made you. So if that's you, take just a moment. Invite him into your heart. Recognize your condition, your great need. But also recognize what a great Savior he is. And if you've done that today, come and tell me. I just, I want to know. I want to know. I want to celebrate with you. I want to rejoice with you that God has come and he has met with you today. And there is a transaction. Something has changed for you today. And that's good news. Too much of what the world hears from the church is bad news. It's time to hear the good news of a good Savior. I thought it was appropriate that we would end our time together sharing the Lord's table.